I want to begin this morning with a question. A question about how we hear God's voice. Because for most of us, that voice doesn't come in an audible form. We don't hear him with our ears. And what that means is that when God speaks to us, you can't tell that it's God in the same way that you can tell when a friend or family member speaks to you, you know, by the tone of their voice. And so how can you tell that it's him? How do you hear God? That's the question before us this morning. But before we get to that question, I want to take you into the future. I want to take you into a dystopian future. You know that word, dystopian? It means bad place, as in the opposite of utopia, which means good place. And given the past year, you know, uh, especially uh, with, with all of the, the movies and the TV series right now that are based on this premise of a world that suffered some mass catastrophe, whether it's a nuclear holocaust or, or a pandemic or a zombie apocalypse, uh, it seems relevant for us to be imagining uh, this sort of a future. So in a dystopian future, the world has basically been pushed back into the Stone Age. So there's no more Netflix, there's, there's no more Facebook, uh, there's no more banking system, uh, no grocery stores, no reliable electricity, no water, no reliable water system. So many things are different. Now, there's just people, a few surviving souls, human beings just... Uh, trying to push on, trying to go on, and so it is for the first time in like 4,000 years, human beings in this future, this dystopian future, they find their fates immediately attached to things like the weather. So will it be hot? Will it be cold? Will you be caught in a storm while you're out in the open? Will you be able to catch food that you need to live on. Imagine being born into such a world. As you grow up, you learn about survival and defense and how to read the intentions of other human beings. Because you see, there are roamers in this world. There are nomads who, who come along uninvited to ravage and to kill and to take whatever they want, and they live by their own law, doing whatever they feel like whenever they feel like it. Sometimes you wish that you could be like those nomads. Like if only you could find a gun and some ammo, then you too could dominate others. And yet there are moments when the night is clear and quiet and you find yourself looking up at the stars, wondering if there isn't some law that is higher than all of this, something higher than whatever I feel like. And you take it into your head that, that someone is up there looking down on, on all that you do. At some point in in moments of loneliness or, or crisis, you begin to speak to that person, whomever they might be, 
You begin asking for guidance, asking for mercy, hoping against hope that if there is some magic word or special ritual to win whatever God's favor, that you might be lucky enough to chance upon that word, to figure out that special ritual. But who is that God? And what particular ritual will make that God help you? Will the God be angered if you accidentally step in the wrong place or do the wrong thing? And you wonder about these things. Who the God might be, what the God might want, what might please him or her, but you can't find an answer. And you feel alone. You feel afraid. And so over time, you take to saying this prayer to yourself that slowly builds and becomes something bigger and you mumble it in those nights and, and you say, may the God whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. May the goddess whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me because you don't know if it's a god or a goddess. May the heart of my God be quieted toward me. May the heart of my goddess be quieted toward me. May my God and goddess be quieted toward me. May the God who has become angry with me be quieted toward me. May the goddess who has become angry with me be quieted toward me. And so you know that the God or the goddess or whoever it is is, is up there. You feel sure of that much. But how should you go about pleasing this deity, making a real connection? How do you avoid offending him? And so you keep praying. You keep mumbling that prayer. And as you do, your prayer grows. You pray, in ignorance, I have eaten that forbidden by my God. In ignorance, I have set foot on that prohibited by my goddess. Oh, Lord, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. Oh, my God, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. My goddess, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. Oh, God, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. Oh, goddess, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. The transgression which I have committed, I do not know. Indeed, I do not know. The sin which I have done, indeed, I do not know. The forbidden thing which I have eaten, indeed, I do not know. The prohibited place on which I have set foot, indeed, I do not know. And so you pour out your heart to this, this unknown god or goddess that you feel sure is there. And doing so does make you feel better. But after a while, it isn't enough. You long for more than, than just pouring yourself out. You long for an answer, a two-way relationship. And so your prayer grows and, and you vent your sense of frustration. You, you pray, although I am constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. I cannot see. So just think about that. The prayer of this person who 
senses the existence of something higher, some higher law, some standard of right and wrong beyond his own desires, and yet he's missing something, isn't he? He knows there's something out there, and yet he can't touch it. He can't reach it. No one takes me by the hand. I cannot see. You take all of that and then listen to the words of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How different that is from the prayer that, that we heard earlier. No one takes me by the hand. I cannot see. You have taught me. Your word is a lamp. So here is someone in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, who has what that other person longed for, the very word of God. He has it. How I love it, he says. It is my meditation all the day. Okay. Now, what about you? Do you have this word, this word of God? I mean, I mean, do you really have it? Or do you merely have it on your shelf? You know, during the centuries when the Bible was being written, people lived in a largely oral culture which means that regular Joes like you and me didn't have their own books. You couldn't just order a copy of Genesis, for example, or the prophecies of Isaiah, or the biography of Jesus, according to Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or John. You couldn't order those off the internet and then just have it there by your bed to read whenever you felt like it. Making scrolls was far too expensive. Only the wealthy owned them. And even if you stole a scroll, chances were you wouldn't be able to read it. And you know what that meant? What that meant is that teachings were passed on not mainly by books, but by word of mouth, by one person speaking and another person hearing, receiving memorizing, until they too could pass that teaching on. And so when a person was set to have a teaching, to really possess it, it didn't mean that he had it in a book. It meant that he really had it, that he truly had it, that he had imprinted that teaching on his mind that he had brought it into his heart, the core of his being. And so we read in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word 
in my heart. Now, why did the psalmist do that? Why did he hide God's word in his heart? He tells us, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The relationship that's implied in those words. This was something that, that our dystopian wanderer from earlier, the speaker of that prayer that we heard earlier, simply couldn't say. Oh, he wanted to say that. He wanted to say that. He longed to understand how to live a life in relationship, in personal fellowship with the being that, that he would have called the God or goddess whom I know or do not know. But he didn't know that. And so, so he couldn't say what the psalmist said. Now, all he could say was, no one takes me by the hand. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. I cannot see. Such a pitiful, heartbreaking lament. And you know what that is? That is the cry of a sheep without a shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. Our Lord Jesus said that. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they do not know his voice. Now we can read those words of our Lord in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John in a passage known as the Good Shepherd text. And speaking of this passage, brings to mind a story from uh, Kenneth Bailey, who's this renowned New Testament scholar, really like him. He once had a class with some students from the farming communities of Syria and Lebanon. And as he tells it, he says, while teaching New Testament in Beirut, Lebanon, we were studying the Good Shepherd text. And I asked the students if in their earlier years they had herded sheep. Some of them had. I asked what was involved when they acquired a new sheep. One of them explained that the new sheep needed to be trained to listen to the new voice. Early each morning, the flock starts to get excited because they have had nothing to eat for 14 hours or more. In addition to being hungry, they are restless from being cooped up all night. As daylight increases, they gradually become more and more active and eager. Finally, they hear the shepherd's voice outside the barred sheepfold door. As soon as the door is opened by a member of the family, the shepherd calls the animals again, and they rush out eagerly, anticipating a new day full of lush grass, fresh mountain air, shady trees, and rest beside peaceful waters. But for the unfortunate new sheep, the voice, that is the voice of the new shepherd, seems wrong. And that sheep has a temporary nervous breakdown. And it runs around the walls of the sheepfold, emitting a stream of pitiful, heartbreaking cries. It needs a few days of therapy 
to retrain its ear to recognize the voice of the new shepherd. It needs a few days of therapy to retrain its ear so that it'll recognize the voice of its shepherd. You know, I wonder, I wonder how many of us today are like that pitiful sheep running around the walls of the sheepfold of our lives, banging up against them, emitting these heartbreaking cries, and, and all because we're unfamiliar with the voice of our shepherd. And you know what we need? We need retraining. We need the daily therapy of reading God's word so that we will hear, so that we will recognize the voice of the shepherd. And you know what? His, his voice, it's in here. His voice is in this word. It's in this Bible that we study. And reading this Bible, do you know what it does? It actually trains us. It familiarizes us with him, with his character, with his personality, with the things that please him and displease him. It sensitizes us to his spirit so that when he does speak, and he will speak, we will recognize his voice. Now, as I said in the beginning, how do you recognize a voice if it doesn't come to you audibly, right? If you can't name it by its tone as you would a, a family member or a friend, how do you recognize it? How do you know who's speaking to you? I mean, we have lots of thoughts in our heads, and none of them have a particular tone of voice because thoughts aren't audible. And so how do you distinguish the source of one thought from another thought? And the answer is by its spirit. How we need to hear God's voice in this time today. We need to hear him. As a church, we need to open our ears to hear from our God. We need to be hearing from him. But how do we do that? You know, it really isn't complicated. We open our ears by reading his word. That's how we do that. We open our ears by reading his word. You know that prayer that I read earlier for you from that mumbling dystopian wanderer? There's something you should know about that prayer. I didn't make it up. Those words... That prayer, all of it is real. It was written by some ancient person. You see, that prayer was discovered on a tablet by archaeologists, and it dates back thousands of years in the past to an age before even the Bible was written, when this real person with real thoughts and real feelings wrote his prayer down. It's come to be known as the Sumero-Akkadian prayer. It's incredible, isn't it, to read a prayer like that? And so now that you know that, let me ask you something. What do you think that, that ancient 
prayer that desperate human wanderer would have done would have done if, if someone had handed him a copy of God's word? What do you think you would have done? Can you imagine what that would be like for such a person? What he would do with it? What, uh, like, like would, he, would he just place it beside his sleeping place and then promptly forget about it? Would he say, well, that's taken care of. Now I can get on with the next thing. Or would he honor it? Give his attention to it. Make it the central object of his ongoing study. His daily meditation. Would he hide it in his heart rather than his drawer? Well, my fellow human wanderers, hiding God's word in your heart, this is exactly what I want to invite you into this morning. I want to invite you to join us this year in hiding God's word deep in your heart. And to do this, I want to offer you, we want to offer you as a, as a church staff, a daily Bible reading plan. And it looks like this. This is the daily Bible reading plan that... Uh, my wife Renee and I have actually used for years. You can print it off in a single sheet and, uh, and then you cut it up into these four bookmarks. It's really a great plan. I've tried a number of different plans, um, but this one's great because it's so flexible. You see, the way that it works is it divides your daily readings into these four bookmarks, which you cut out and you place in your Bible at the appropriate places. Now, depending on how ambitious you are, uh, by following these readings on, on these bookmarks, you can get through the entire Bible in one year. And it really doesn't take a whole lot of time each day. I would say average 15, 20 minutes, something like that. If you're less ambitious, then you can, you know, just use two of the bookmarks in a year and, and then get through the whole Bible in two years. Or... You can do one bookmark a year and get through the entire Bible in four years. That's not bad. That's not bad. And so, this is a great plan. And the best thing about it, my favorite thing about it actually, is that it has catch-up days built right into it. And so each month has 25 days of reading, which means that depending on the month that you're in, you're going to have about five days of catch-up, of slack, if you happen to fall behind. Now, you can print this plan off uh, by yourself by using the link uh, that's provided on our website, or you can pick it up at the church and get it printed off and pre-cut for you a color copy on nice, thick cardstock, just like the one that I have here. And just to help us get started together on this initiative, this church-wide, this joint venture of reading God's word, of taking it in, of sensitizing our ears to our shepherd's voice, we're going to be offering one more thing. A number of you have reached out very kindly to say how helpful you found our daily Christmas in the Trenches podcast uh, for keeping some sense of connection going uh, during this crisis that we're all weathering. And so beginning tomorrow, actually, uh, we're going to continue providing uh, 
very much the same sort of thing. We're going to continue to provide a daily podcast five days a week, about the same length, five to ten minutes each day, and it's going to be called Crack the Good Book as in crack it open, don't leave it on the shelf. A podcast for getting God's word off the shelf and into our hearts. And so as I said, in this podcast, I'll be sharing five to ten minutes of uh, daily devotionals based on some of the readings from the specific uh, bookmarks that week. And so tune in tomorrow as we kick things off with Genesis chapter one in our Crack the Book, the Good Book podcast. Now, if you've already subscribed, uh, I want to tell you to uh, Christmas in the Trenches, that podcast, then you're not going to have to do anything extra. This new podcast's episodes will show up for you as they're published um, right there where you've subscribed already five days a week. Uh, If you haven't yet subscribed, however, then just head over to newlifestonewall.com and uh, click the link and you'll be able to uh, get hooked up with that there. Now, we don't know all the things that this new year is going to bring for us, but uh, you know what? That doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If we're hearing from God, if we are sensitized to his voice, to hear him when he speaks, our shepherd will lead us each step of the way. So let's bow our heads and pray together as we follow our shepherd into this new year. Father God, when we know that you are with us, then really everything else is just details. Nothing else really matters all that much if we know that you're with us, that you're guiding us. If we're hearing your voice, then we'll know what to do. We'll know where to go. We'll know how to move and when to move. And so, Lord, as your people... As we engage with your word, we ask that you would just bless us, that you would respond to us, that you would, you would keep your promise that uh, those who draw near to you, you draw near to them, that you would respond with your felt presence, with your spoken guidance, with your promised Holy Spirit, and just shepherd us through this new year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.